Welcome to the first episode of Authentic Influence. I'm Adam Connor. First of all, I'm so glad you've tuned into this podcast. If you haven't listened to the trailer already, it might help if you go back and have a quick listen there after this episode to give you a broad sense of what this show is all about. But to quickly summarize, this is a podcast which dives into the revolution of user-generated content and consumer activation through interviews with top business minds, as well as sharing tips and strategies for CEOs, heads of strategy, marketers, and entrepreneurs alike, looking to amplify the voices of their prospects and customers in a genuine and compelling way. If you end up enjoying what you hear, I encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Adam Connor, as well as to subscribe and give this podcast a rating and a review wherever you listen to let me know how you're enjoying it. Today, per the title of this episode, I can UGC clearly now, we're going to be laying some groundwork. After all, this concept, directly injecting the consumer's voice into branding, is so broad and frankly unstructured that it's hard to capture it all in one place. So let's assume a few things are true before diving in. Number one, there will always be people posting content online through social media, messaging apps, or whatever follows next. The genie's out of the bottle, and we're all hooked to this new norm of communication. Number two, that content is, for the most part, unregulated and unmoderated. If you did listen to the trailer, think back to the digital wild, wild west that I referenced there. There are exceptions for blatantly graphic or hateful material, but even then, it's growing increasingly difficult to police the internet. Even the most advanced technology companies like Facebook and YouTube freely admit this. Number three, that mostly unmoderated content has the potential to be damaging to brands which otherwise have good intentions, and there are a number of examples that we'll highlight in future episodes of this podcast. Number four, once published, that potentially damaging content exists out there forever. And number five, the trend of user-generated content and the content itself is just scratching the surface of the strategic value that can be created through UGC. So think of what's happening right now with content as user-generated content 1.0. The content itself is just the beginning. There's so much more to that, and we're going to get to the other parts of it in later episodes of this podcast, and partially in this episode today. Now, with that out of the way, as we think about embedding user-generated content into a business, it's rather one-sided to claim that these observations that I just listed, while completely accurate, tell the entire story. In fact, there's so many brilliant examples of UGC out there which speak to its benefits as a pillar of strategy, and I'm not just talking about content strategy, but overall corporate strategy, and we'll talk more about that in future episodes as well, and today, so be sure to stay subscribed, little plug there, but it's, it's obvious that there are drawbacks. And it leaves business leaders searching for best practices and ultimately wondering whether the juice is worth the squeeze. So, as I've mentioned, today we'll be laying some groundwork, some best-in-class standards to which any business should hold themselves to ensure that they're getting the most value out of user-generated content, maybe this UGC 1.0. I say we as I'll be joined today by the podcast's first guest, and her voice will come to be a familiar one on the show as together we explore this trend overall as well as discuss and react to major news and developments surrounding its growth. Catherine Hayes is a visionary in the world of marketing and advertising technology. She made her first entrepreneurial venture into the gaming world through the co-founding of Massive Inc., which sought to embed dynamic branded content into video games. 
And after Microsoft acquired Massive, she moved on to become CEO of GenArts, whose Sapphire visual effects software is a must-have in Hollywood and is used by the majority of the feature filmmaking industry. Today, she is co-founder and CEO of Vivoom, a consumer activation platform empowering brands to turn their prospects and customers into a network of authentic influencers, and the pioneer of a business practice known as user-generated advertising. More informally, she is a mentor of mine, and I'm so glad to have her as a recurring guest on this podcast moving forward. Catherine, welcome. Thanks, Adam. It's great to have you here on this first episode, and I uh, can't wait for our listeners to have you be a familiar voice on this podcast as well as, as we dive into this revolution of user-generated content, consumer activation. Uh, lots of exciting stuff to go over. This will certainly be the first in a series of conversations that we have, but I, uh, I want to start all the way back at the beginning, not, not too terribly long ago, but when this idea first came into your head to start what became Vavoom. Um, let's talk about that because I know that you had a, a, a storied history, um, not necessarily in consumer activation and consumer advertising, but certainly in the advertising world. So um, if you wouldn't mind just elucidating for us what that story, how that story started. Happy to. I love, I love that story. So what, what's interesting to me is that the advertising industry is, when you think about it, one of only a handful of major industries that hasn't yet been disrupted by technology. How we travel, how we shop, how we communicate have all been completely disrupted, turn, turned on their heads in most cases. But the advertising industry, a $500 billion industry, is really still using the same models that have been used for decades. And sure, it's shifted from television to social networks, but the model is still the same. Interrupt people with your brand message. They're interrupting people on Facebook and Instagram uh, instead of interrupting people on television, but the model really isn't that different. Lavoom was born out of, out of the idea that there's a significant opportunity for a new model, a new way to, to do things that is a win-win for the brand and the consumer. Now, you might be thinking, isn't that, isn't that a little naive, a little too good to be true? And the good news is that it's actually not. So going back to the, the beginning, maybe even before the beginning, as you suggested, my, my first company, Massive, was a network for advertising and video games. And that was ultimately acquired by Microsoft. And that experience taught me many things, but one that particularly applies to Vavoom and to the industry that we're in today was the power of a win-win advertising model. I learned very clearly at Massive that advertising doesn't have to be a dirty word. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. We put ads in video games that gamers had paid real money for. And it sounded absolutely crazy to people at the time. But we had done enough homework to know that if we added realism to the game, gamers would love it. And we did this through you know, using technology and operations to execute the advertising in, in the right way. That was a really powerful aha for me. Because until that point, I'd seen advertising as a zero-sum game. What was good for the brand, 
interrupted and took away for the consumer experience from the consumer experience and vice versa. All of that being said, our model at Massive, no matter how powerful, would not have worked if brands had not had a pain point, which was that men 18 to 34 weren't watching television. And so that forced brands to try something new. Now, fast forward to Vavoom. A little over four years ago, I saw a similar opportunity, but on a much larger scale than just video games and what we were doing at, at Massive. And that was the opportunity to harness the power of a brand's own prospects and customers to help authentically tell the brand story. This is not a new idea. And you're probably thinking, yeah, you know, word of word of mouth. Brands have known word of mouth and peer recommendations were powerful for decades. And they've frankly been using hashtag campaigns and user content aggregators for the past handful of years. However, there wasn't a way to utilize the voice of the consumer at scale predictably with brand safety and across the entire marketing funnel. And candidly, until the last several years, there were still viable alternatives like buying an audience on television that were working. But what's changing is that those old models are now increasingly less effective. Hashtag campaigns and user content aggregators, as a result, are no longer sufficient to close this widening gap. So we've built Vavoom's technology and platform to, to do just that, to give consumer word of mouth or consumer activation and UGC, depending on how you want to think about it and what you want to call it, the scale, the safety, and the predictability of the old television models and then some. We think it can be far more powerful than than the old models on traditional media. Okay, so the whole idea sounds like with with Vavoom and and with with the conception of Vavoom was the disruption of the interruption, and I, I can I can see that pretty clearly. I mean, let let me go back to my own personal anecdote when uh, when I you know. I love video games. Guys 18 to 34, they love video games. I can also see the difference between like an Electronic Arts, for instance, uh, which through its Madden franchise for a while showed display advertising, inherently interruptive stuff. And this was after Massive's time, by the way, and uh, and met massive consumer backlash. But I can also remember in other titles by that same publisher, I'd be driving around in a game about cars and I would go past a Best Buy and I'd be like, oh, that's awesome. Like I could do that on my regular... I could do that on my regular, you know, ride in the car to school. Um, and that genuinely was something that brought, I think, more authenticity to the game. The fact that I even remember that I was driving by a Best Buy in a game that was came out 13 years ago, I think, is is uh, is indicative of that. Um, but, you know, I think it's definitely something where you, you take a look at the way that people are conversing with their audience and trying to reach them today and uh, it can be applied to so much more than that. And I mean, who? I mean, I guess that makes obvious. You know, who who better than who better than a customer or somebody interested in a brand to tell the story than them? Um, I uh, I want to ask this question though because user generated content, as you said, it's not new. There are a bunch of ways people can do that today. And you mentioned briefly hashtags and other other ways to to put branding on content. Um, do you have any examples out there of you know? some of the things that you've seen, and it doesn't have to be maybe something that Vavoom's done. It doesn't have to be a specific filter, but just ways in which UGC can be incredibly powerful and valuable 
to a brand, you know, something obviously which comes to mind to me would be like something, something personalized, like share a Coke, which I think if you go on marketing websites, it's touted as one of the greatest advertising campaigns of the 21st century, maybe even more. Um, but I'm curious from a specifically user generated point of view, like what you see as some great pillars of what can be. So there's a lot of different examples out there of UGC and and part of why it's so powerful is because it's it the content is really authentic it's a real user or someone who's really considering the brand and they're sharing content about the brand and they're often distributing it to people who are exactly the people that the brand wants to reach and exactly the people that want to uh, the brand wants to consider their brand so There are a lot of good examples when it's been really successful, but most of the user-generated content that we've seen today is still very tactical and brands are taking a lot of risk, right? To have, to put your brand, which is, which is so valuable to a company in the hands of consumers um, can be very effective, but also comes with a lot of risk. Okay. So risk, sure. I'm guessing that has to do partly with people will be people and their behavior, but also has to do with some of the ways that, you know, despite the fact that advertising really hasn't changed a ton in the way it's delivered, but certainly the medium through which it's consumed has has changed greatly. I mean, I would say even in the last 10 years, you think about social media and certainly the scale of things and the ability to spread uh, has become uh, more prevalent than ever. Would you agree? I mean, is that is that one way do you think in which the industry has at least changed over, say, the last decade or so? And maybe maybe the more important question is what hasn't changed. I think you've covered that a little bit, but I uh, I'm curious as to that specific aspect because sure there's risk, but I I would also assume that that risk is greatly amplified by the scale and spreadability of the message these days. Yeah, so the old advertising models really didn't have a lot of risk. I mean, television, print were were pretty controlled and pretty safe for brands. Uh, so digital broadly, and not just user-generated content, uh, but programmatic advertising and, and really digital broadly has introduced a tremendous amount more risk for brands. Where is my content going to be? Uh, what is it going to be put next to uh, is, a, is a challenge with with programmatic. Will that influencer represent my brand in, in the right way? Uh, and then with user generated content, uh, you, in the past, word of mouth was literally that me telling a friend about a brand. And if I was saying something that was negative or something that was risky to the brand, the audience was a friend or, or two, not you know, an entire set of followers on social media that could then send that message to other people. And, and you know, and, and, and bad news goes viral uh, sometimes more often than than good news. So the risk is is certainly higher and uh, and much higher than it was with uh, with with more traditional media. A few things that have, that have changed since we we founded Vavoom in the advertising industry is is we we started Vavoom pre fake news. We started Vavoom pre all the talk about algorithm changes, election interference, Cambridge Analytica, GDPR, you know, horrible influencer scandals, and really before marketers could no longer keep their heads in the sand about the continued declines in traditional media cons- consumption. 
look at television viewership um, as a as a prime example. The hours spent watching when you compare first quarter of 2018 to first quarter eight years before of 2010 is down by for across every age group except for the 65 year olds and older. And the important 12 to 34 year old demographic, it's down 34 to 56 percent, with the younger demo being down the most, which shows a really daunting trend for brands who have depended on on television. And all of these changes have have made the need for a new model more urgent, which is really critical. I mean, you know, going back to what I learned at Massive. Even if you have a great, powerful new model, and even if the new model is better than the old model, it's hard to get anyone to change unless they have urgency to do so, unless they have a need to to do so. What what hasn't really changed is that consumers are are increasingly in the driver's seat, and that's you know to your point around risk. Um, that's both in their ability to avoid advertising that they don't want to see. You know, in the early days of television, you didn't have a choice but to sit through the commercial other than, you know, get up, get up and leave and leave the room. So consumers are increasingly in the driver's seat. They can choose what advertising they don't want to see and they can avoid it uh, through technology, through making choices about how they consume media. And they also are in the are in the driver's seat in terms of the power that they yield to tell the brand story. And, and that, this genie can't really be put back in the bottle. So given that consumers are now in the driver's seat, what, you know, how do, how do brands execute in that new reality? Well, how do they execute in the new reality? And, and, and also it has me thinking if they're in the driver's seat, I mean, we, we, I would think that you need to be collecting, you know, just as somebody can't get up and leave, it's much different from that now. I mean, you can collect so much information about pretty much anybody. I mean, that's another well pitfall of the internet is that it, everything's so widely available in some cases to to your negative, but when you talk about data, and I guess I have another question around that because that's another big trend that's that's come up over the past, well, maybe not ten years, maybe closer to five years, is uh, is this idea of big data. We need all this information, and you know, in advertising, I I would think that outside of focus groups and studies of demos and things like that, this big data is seems pretty macro. You know, wh- what do you think about that in terms of how this user-generated world can also provide a benefit in terms of collecting data on on those people and, and perhaps, you know, not only just marketing to them, but but using that information, you know, to, to continue to further the brand. What, what do you think about that? So the data piece is is one of the reasons why I said user-generated content can deliver the benefits of the old television model, if you will, but and and then some. And you know, the data both helps the brand target better, uh, but it also allows the brand to give a better experience to the consumer because it, it's one that they know will be will be really relevant to to the consumer. And this is you know one of the ways that I think UGC can help unlock that win-win-win model that I was talking about uh, earlier and, you know, the scale of the old television model, but with a lot more, more impact. A current example that I'm pretty excited about because we, we recently launched it is with Viber and FC Barcelona. And if you ch- 
you should check it out if you haven't seen it already, because it's absolutely incredible. And I believe it's, it's the future of advertising. Why? Because it ticks all the boxes. It's not interruptive. Viber is delivering a truly fun experience for FC Barcelona fans and to the 1 billion global users of Viber. And as those users, the FC Barcelona, as those users and FC Barcelona and the players share the videos of fans running through the player tunnel onto the field or, you know, meeting the press and imagining that they're interviewing like a new player and their friends and followers watch it, they become aware of Viber and, you know, they may choose to download Viber and become new users of Viber. So this is a really good example to me of unlocking that win-win model, where not only are users not getting interrupted by Viber, they're getting this incredibly valuable experience delivered by Viber, but it's still driving tremendous awareness for, for the brand and driving new users for the brand. And they're able to, so, okay, there's this incredible experience, fans come in, it enriches the time that they spend with the team. It encourages use of Viber, this platform, So, uh, which already seems like a huge opportunity. You've got one of the biggest sports franchises in the world, one of the largest, one of the largest social platforms in the world coming together and utilizing UGC to create a holistic and synergistic content experience. And because it's owned entirely there that they're also collecting all of this information not only from who is who is taking the call to action and 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 learning more about the brand or using viber but but just having that information i would i would assume is just so powerful to have as as opposed to say um barca's barca's new signing if you did like a hashtag on twitter it sounds like if you were to do that um you could certainly scrape some data but for the most part like a social network would would own that i mean it wouldn't be it wouldn't be Barcelona owning it. It wouldn't be Viber owning it. But um, so that 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 seems like another it seems like another benefit of the whole thing just for the brand. Oh well, a- a- absolutely. And then you know, talking about brand safety, this experience puts Messi in users' videos. One of the top soccer players uh, in the world. Something that. It's very hard to imagine FC Barcelona or even the player would be comfortable with without knowing that um, there was full brand safety. And so it's unlocking some pretty incredible potential, both for the brand and also for the value that's getting delivered to consumers, because FC Barcelona and Viber uh, can have confidence that they're going to have the brand safety they need when consumers are creating and distributing this content. So, all right. I got to ask this because it sounds like it sounds like a great experience for for consumers, brands collecting a lot of data, awareness driving. Um, You've got some great content in what sounds like a filtered experience for any user to come through, make something personalized. There are certainly ways in which you can do this today on your typical social. You know, Snapchat obviously comes to mind. What what's the difference there? I mean, why I mean, why not just use that? Well, one of the first big ones is the is is the brand safety. Is the brand comfortable handing their assets over to consumers when they don't know uh, whether the controls will be there to make sure that the content that's shared is is on brand? 
so that's the that's the first one kind of from a risk perspective but from a strategic perspective uh, and it's and it's not just Snapchat. It, it's it's traditional or typical hashtag campaigns as well. Um, it's a very you know short term um, kind of tactical thing to do. It's not necessarily a, a bad thing to do, but the brand is is really building the social network and building the data and the insights and the content of the social network versus building the data and the one-to-one relationship and the content for the brand that the brand can then uh, build on, utilize in the future and begin to build a real competitive advantage around. So one of the things that, that we think about is to make this, you know, this win-win model a reality uh, to really have it start to deliver the scale uh, and the, you know, the safety and the results that brands had traditionally found on on television, and even more than that, brands need a a way, a solution that helps them gain the targeting and the scale that they need without handing over the one-to-one relationship with their consumers to to third parties and without compromising customer privacy, which is a which is a big deal, and and brand safety. And this also allows the brand to move from being tactical only, you know, short term minded in their initiatives and their use of UGC and consumer activation to instead utilizing UGC strategically. And as a result, building substantial competitive advantage that allows the brands to to really leapfrog their competition. So right now, what we see is that most of the things a lot of brands are doing are are very tactical and they have very short term benefits, um, but are not building data and capabilities. And essentially, they're giving up any long term competitive benefits that could be built for the brand. They're giving them up to third parties, whether those are social social platforms or or influencer platforms. And to get a little more into the nitty gritty, if you will, um, Brands need a way to integrate consumer sharing across the entire funnel, from awareness through to customer loyalty, and to have closed-loop ownership, if you will, of the data and the content, and a way to personalize the shareable moments so that the brand is not just offering a one-size-fits-all sharing opportunity, but instead they're using the data and they're using the insights that they're gaining to build and offer highly targeted consumer sharing experiences. So the experience you may be offered may be quite different than the experience that I'm offered, which in turn, you know, drives more engagement. I'm more likely to, to participate. That delivers more user content, more data, builds further competitive for the a competitive advantage for the brand, and it becomes a virtuous cycle, which is where brands start to build that competitive advantage versus their uh, the other players that may be in their space. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot of information to 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 take in. It sound it it sounds like you're talking about something which goes across the funnel to provide strategic organization wide value and also be cutting down on risk. It almost seems like with what you have out there today, it's it's a it's a pretty hard task. But I want to let me let me center in on those two things. Okay, building institutional strategic value with this type of content and mitigating the risk. I'm assuming that those are two major levers for any organization 
who is considering UGC. And it has me wondering, and maybe you've thought about this already, how to balance it. Or even if you do, I, I assume you must. I mean, in the end state, right, if somebody was out there doing UGC perfectly, they would get something that is incredibly valuable across the entire funnel where everybody is is making content and the right people are consuming it at the right time. And on the other hand, is something where there's absolutely no risk. It seems like that's an ideal, but it's just something that I'm imagining in my head. How do you think about balancing those two? So I like your vision for that. Um, we we have a matrix that we use with our, our clients to see where brands map out versus others in the industry. And in this matrix, picture in your mind the y-axis is the strategic impact of UGC with low strategic impact, so primarily tactical use of UGC at the bottom. And by tactical, can we say what you just said was was awareness? So mostly people who are, you're just trying to blare a message at them, ah, use our brand. And that, that's basically what you mean by that? It's, you know, I need results this quarter, so I'm going to do a hashtag campaign or I'm going to go buy a, a filter on Snapchat and I know that I'm going to reach 30 million people, but I'm not going to be capturing data and insights and building one-to-one relationships uh, with those people in the way that I, I I could if I had a little more of a strategic outlook. And again, it's not to say that those are bad things to do, but if they're the only things a brand is doing, they're leaving a lot of opportunity on on the table. And most brands are, are that is where they are on this on this Y axis or vertical axis that I'm that I'm talking about. They are mostly doing tactical things versus starting to move up the y-axis and utilizing UGC in a highly, highly strategic way. And we the, we have a formula, if you will, for mapping where a brand might be on this y-axis or this vertical axis. So it's a way to start thinking about it. And we, you know, the formula is strategic impact equals having an inherently shareable product. Uh, so um, if a brand doesn't have uh, you know, a good product, it's uh, difficult to really make a lot of impact. Uh, so that is a key piece. And brands can move up higher on the y-axis just by having a really great product. Uh, you know, Chase Sapphire Reserve is a great example of that. But when you take that inherently shareable product and you complement it with a system for what we call strategic always-on funnel integration and ownership and you know a closed loop of the data and the content, and then the ability to personalize shareable moments, so to offer a shareable moment to one set of users that's different than the shareable moment you offer up to another set of users, that's when you really can move to the top of the matrix uh, or the y-axis from a strategic standpoint. The other dimension of, of, of the matrix is around brand risk. You know, how much brand risk are brands taking in utilizing user-generated content? And interestingly, although most brands are still doing quite tactical things with UGC, they're also at the same time taking a lot of brand risk. So you know, some brands are mitigating this risk by li- limiting the volume and the context in wh- which users are capturing user-generated content. Uh, so it's in a small event where the brand might physically be present to capture and monitor the user-generated content. We saw Bank of America doing this 
uh, last year with an event where they had, uh, you know, people from the brand actually helping capture the user-generated content uh, to mitigate risk. Um, and a lot of brands are also using a very limited set of brand assets for consumers to add into their content, which, you know, while lowering the risk for the brand, it also lowers the value for both the brand and the consumer. You know, so for example, you know, Disney is highly unlikely to let consumers put Mickey Mouse in their video without full confidence that Disney can ensure brand safety. But that also limits you know, the ability to bring to life the great value that Disney has has built into their brand. It's almost, you know, it's almost as crazy as running a Disney commercial uh, would have been 20 years ago with just a talking head speaking about the Disney theme park versus incredible visuals bringing to life the magic of, of a Disney theme park. So back to the matrix I, I was talking about, you know, if if strategic impact is the vertical or the y-axis, and the level of brand safety um, or risk is the horizontal x-axis. So high brand risk would be on the far left side of that horizontal axis, and minimal brand risk would be on the far right side. And we're finding that, that most brands are still on the far left side of the axis, um, you know, so they are taking a lot of risk or they're simply staying on the sidelines and not using user generated content at all due to the risk. And our formula for how we we think about brand safety risk is total brand risk equals the volume plus the context plus the scope of the consumer input. Uh, so is the consumer sharing a video or just a photo or maybe simply text minus the technology to mitigate um, the risk multiplied by volume plus context plus scope of the consumer input. So net-net, once we apply these, these two formulas, most brands map to the bottom left-hand corner of, of the matrix. I was, I was actually just recently meeting with the CMO of a large consumer product brand who laughed when we were talking about this matrix. And he said, we're actually below the bottom right-hand corner of the matrix. But, um, you know, he said, we're not doing anything because we're, we're, we're so, um, you know, worried about the risk and we don't know how to move out of the, out of the tactical. But there is a, there is a path to the upper right-hand corner, um, you know, use of UGC that delivers high strategic impact to the business with minimum brand safety risk, even for brands who aren't yet on uh, even the bottom left-hand corner of the matrix. And this matrix, um, you know, while a relatively simple framework is a great way for marketers or entrepreneurs or, or even CEOs or C-suite executives for major brands to think about building best-in-class UGC practices for their business. Well, that is certainly a very well thought out and in-depth way to think about it. I think it's funny that somebody said they were the beyond the lower left, but I think your comment about the sidelines makes a lot of sense. I mean, I was reading earlier this year, this was the, this was Keith Weed, the CMO of Unilever, huge consumer products brand, as you know, saying that, and speaking specifically about influencers, uh, wanting to reduce influencer fraud, I believe he called it down to zero. And while that isn't reflective of the content that maybe your everyday consumer might produce, it is reflective of a of a sentiment, which is that it is very difficult to put branded content or at least leverage branded content out there without being 
risky inherently in some way. And that's not even talking about what people might do actively in the moment. Of course, you think about influencers. Um, you mentioned it earlier uh, where, you know, some influencers have come into hot water, especially in 2018 and in 2017 uh, with regard to uh, the things that they may do and the other content that they produce, which while maybe having completely good intentions and in a completely past perspective, having done work with a brand can be seen in a totally new light going forward. Of course, that that speaks to a couple of things because you could always denounce that content. Things, you know, the atmosphere could always change. But um, speaking to one of the things that listeners will have heard me say as a as an assumption of things that are true, even before this interview started, uh, the content's pretty much out there forever as it stands today. Now you talk about you said you have technology there in your your risk formula. Um, if there's a way that you can take that out of the airspace, I think that's even better. But I do want to ask a question, I think, in a little bit, which, you know, say you're in the lower left hand or beyond the lower left hand of this of this matrix that you say, what's the first step that you take? But um, I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. What I do want to ask is a couple of things that are related to the value. And because there's two ways that you can look at it, obviously, what we've talked about, it's about creating great experiences for consumers. So there's a certain number of benefits for them. Uh, and there's obviously a lot of benefits that a brand can get from it, assuming you have the right systems in place. If we talk about best practices for a second, let's go beyond the concept of, okay, you got to maximize value and minimize risk. All right. How do you get to the value in the content itself or the elements of the content that uh, gets folks to create and gets brands to uh, be the beneficiary of that creation? Best in class user generated content, what we're seeing is it creates an engaging experience for the consumer. You're extending the amount of time that they're in, engaging with your brand by having them create and, and share this, this content. And it's giving them value. It's giving them value either in a really fun creative filter, you know, put, put yourself you know, in um, the tunnel running out for FC Barcelona as if you've just signed on as a player uh, or, you know, a chance to to get a really fun perk. Maybe you have a chance to get a VIP experience. Maybe you get some points back on your on your credit card for creating and sharing this content. So it's it's really um, important that you are delivering value for the consumer. And that's one of the really um, interesting and, and exciting parts about being able to deliver over time as you're building data and as you're building insights, a more personalized sharing experience for different users, because different users may have different values for different elements. They may want a fun filter or they may value points back uh, more and being able to build those insights around the context and the behavior and the demographics of the user and which of those sharing moments will appeal to them most uh, allows a brand to move out of one size fits all hashtag campaigns and really deliver the most value for the consumer. You can also through the data which is another key element of, of uh, you know, best-in-class UGC, the brand owning the data and, and owning the insights. You can also, through the data, see which of your consumers and prospects are the most influential. You may say, wow, this, this group of users is super influential, and I'm actually willing to give them a bigger coupon for sharing because when they share, their friends engage and convert at really high rates. So 
the brand having the data and building the relationship with the users and having the insights is, is another key element of best-in-class UGC. And the last one is, uh, is the rights to the content and being able to build a portfolio of user content to uh, complement brand-created content, sometimes to supplement, to substitute rather brand-created content and learning as a brand where across your funnel user-generated content outperforms uh, pretty significantly brand content and how that may vary by different different demographics and different uh, different contexts. So those are, are the key elements of best-in-class UGC that we're seeing. Okay. So let me get this straight because if I'm a, even if I'm a marketer of a direct-to-consumer brand um, or if I'm a CEO of a huge company, you know, th- this is still, it sounds pretty green territory for a lot of folks. And in the past, what, five minutes, I mean, you've laid down stuff that I'm sure that very few people are thinking about in a comprehensive way. Um, There are elements of risk that you need to mitigate for. There is, you know, there is a need to maximize value across a funnel. Within that value, there is a need to provide certain types of benefits to a consumer that in turn gives benefits to the brand. And oh, by the way, you could be segmenting and testing along the way to get better and better and continuously improve. Most folks out there, they're still thinking about this as, yeah, but I can still buy 30 million people on a hashtag, you know, or things like that. But it's clear from this conversation that there's there's plenty of value here and it's it's where people are going. People are eventually going to have to think about this. And if they're not, they're going to fall behind. It seems like a pretty clear message that I'm getting from you. So what I want to ask is this. If somebody hasn't thought about this comprehensively and they are maybe in that lower left hand of the spectrum that we mentioned before the matrix, maybe even beyond it from that anecdote that you had, tackling all of this would take quite a while, I guess, unless you had a system in place and, you know, you want to tell people to give you a call, that's fine. But what is the first, I mean, what's the very first step somebody can take here? Because it seems like there's a lot that somebody would have to do. And hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully it's simpler than I think. But I mean, what what's the first thing somebody should do in considering how to even approach these best practices that you're talking about? Sure. Yeah, no, I I I hear you and it and it can be tempting to say I'm just going to I'm just going to do the tactical and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go by that audience um and get that short-term short-term impact. But uh, the brands that do that and keep doing that, uh, they risk being being left behind. So to to me, the, the most important first step is to recognize what you're doing today in UGC is tactical and to not confuse tactical efforts with strategic ones. And then as an organization, uh, whether you're a big organization or a small organization, to identify the need to implement a holistic UGC strategy as an integrated element of your broader strategic imperatives. And that that last point is a really important one. This this shouldn't be, UGC shouldn't be another thing that gets done on the side or yet another thing to add to a marketer's already completely overflowing plate. Um, what we're seeing a better way to think about it is to say, what are our existing strategic imperatives? What what do we where do we want to be uh, as an organization or with our content strategy over the next one year or two year? 
and then integrate user-generated content into that existing strategy and into that existing in-state. So if you're a brand and you're, and you're already thinking, I need to integrate UGC in a holistic way into my existing strategy and what I'm doing today is, is tactical, you, you're already, you've already made a huge step in the right direction. And, uh, you know, a, a step that that may be ahead of the curve and, and the other peers in your space. So good job <laughs> to those people who are thinking that. And, and then the next the next step um, to just break this down in, into more bite sized pieces is to map a path to say, OK, where am I on that matrix? Maybe I'm in the bottom left hand corner. Maybe I'm below the bottom left hand hand corner. Let's map a path to get the organization closer to the upper right hand corner. And that's a combination of putting systems in place, um, you know, you know, looking at how do you how do you integrate brand safety and it's definitely not as easy as going out and running another hashtag campaign or buying a, a snapchat lens but the strategic impact of doing this work positions brands who invest the resources and the time to do it as leaders in their space space and will pay off in spades okay wow so i've learned a lot um and uh I'm thinking that, you know, of course, it's it's easy to just to just be able to say, well, you could do this all comprehensively through something like Vavoom. But since we're going to be hearing your voice again and again on this show as a recurring guest, um, let's let's finish off here by talking a little bit about, you know, what we're doing at Vavoom, sort of the type of folks we're working with and um, and how if somebody's thinking about all the things you just said how to connect with us to, to learn a little bit more, because, you know, as we go through this show uh, for as long as it runs, we're going to be talking about this every couple of weeks and we will highlight different elements of value, different elements of risk, news, other developments in the industry as they arise. And of course, that'll be mixed in with other thought leaders and business leaders weighing in. Uh, listeners who are tuning in today as we launch this podcast will also hear an interview with the chief marketing officer of the Boston Red Sox, Adam Grossman, who was kind enough to sit down with us in the middle of their postseason run, which we thought was was great, but it just underpins how important this topic is. But Catherine, why don't you just wrap this up by talking about uh, a little bit about what Vavoom is doing for, for our clients today and and how folks can stay connected and, and learn a little bit more, because this is a lot of important stuff we're talking about. And of course, we'll expand later on. But hey, somebody might just want to start learning right now. So uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on all that. Sure. So we, we would be happy to uh, to talk with, with any marketers and learn how they're thinking about the space, what some of the challenges they might be having are uh, with user-generated content and how uh, they're thinking about incorporating user-generated content into their strategy and into some of their upcoming goals. And, um, you know, in terms of, of Vavoom's platform specifically, um, it is it is a technology platform. It allows brands to gain the targeting and the scale that they need with user-generated content without handing over the one-to-one -one relationship with consumers to third parties and without compromising customer privacy and uh, and brand safety. And, and we'd be you know, happy to, to show you how that works. Um, and we do believe it helps brands move from being, you know, 
tactical and taking risks with UGC to becoming more strategic and, and certainly not taking the risk with with user-generated content. So we're working with brands um, to utilize our platform, but also to think about how to integrate user-generated content into their existing strategy and their existing goals. And uh, would be happy to uh, talk with, with folks who are interested and tell you more about what we're seeing in the space and also to learn what, uh, what your goals are and what you're seeing and what some of your challenges are and also some of the successes. Uh, that brands have had. Okay, well, that sounds good, and uh, I'll second that, folks. If you're out there and you're you're looking to make your way in this, you, you know, UGC is going to become incredibly important if you stay. I mean, it already is, but it's going to become way more important for businesses who are trying to build those sorts of relationships. And as you continue to listen to this show, and I encourage you to stay subscribed, we're going to have these conversations every couple of weeks, and they're going to cover different topics. And, uh, and we'll always be there to answer these questions. If you want to, to write in or connect with Catherine or connect with me, uh, we'll be happy to talk about those because we certainly want to get the community involved as much as we can. Um, but consider this our first position. And uh, I'll talk a little bit after this interview about how specifically you can connect with us. But for the moment... Catherine. It was great. Thank you for all the time you've spent here with us today. And and we'll be back on the air here in a few weeks talking about more news, more topics, uh, more trends as, as UGC continues to balloon. But for now, uh, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, everyone, for listening. That was Catherine Hayes, CEO and co-founder of Vavoom and someone who will become a very familiar voice on this show in the coming weeks and months. So I encourage you to stay tuned in. If you're interested in learning more about what we talked about on this podcast, you could connect with her on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash in slash Catherine Hayes, H-A-Y-S, and over email at Catherine.Hayes at govavoom.com. And you can also connect with me, linkedin.com slash in slash Adam J. Connor, E-R on the end of that one. We really are happy to talk to anybody in the world of marketing who is considering getting a little bit more user-generated content into their overall strategy. We live and breathe this stuff and we would welcome the conversation. Thanks again for listening in. If you are listening on our launch day, then please also head over to our other full-length episode today in which we are interviewing the CMO of the newly crowned World Series champion, Boston Red Sox, Adam Grossman, our guest on that show. In any case, be sure to stay subscribed and also give our show a rating and review wherever you listen if you enjoyed what you heard. We'll be back soon with more insight and thought leadership on this revolution of UGC in today's marketing world. For now, I've been Adam Connor. This has been another episode of Authentic Influence, and you'll hear from us again next time.